Hello there. This is the first video in a series I'm going to do on the Book of Revelation. Uh, it is a very interesting book and yet to many people a rather daunting one in terms of how best to understand it. Now, if you were to ask your Christian friends, what was the main purpose of the book of Revelation, or what is the main purpose? I suspect you would get quite a lot of different answers. Some people would say that it is a book that deals with uh, eschatology, that is the study of the last things, uh, the events uh, uh, that are going to occur uh, before and during the uh, coming, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. Uh, it, it is a, an important area of theology, study of the last things, and Revelation does have a great deal to say about those last things, final events that will occur in human history before Christ returns, and also refers to the final judgment and the uh, consequence of that final judgment. Uh, others would say, well, it, its primary purpose is to encourage the churches, persecuted churches of the New Testament time, uh, the churches of the first century, throughout what we now call the Middle East were, were quite bitterly persecuted both by Jewish authorities when they, where they had authority and of course by the Roman authorities uh, throughout the Roman Empire. And uh, that is, they say, what it was all about. And yet others might say, well just a minute, it's really a book which tells us about heaven. There's more uh, descriptive material of heaven and uh, uh, the worship of God and Christ in heaven in this book than in the whole of the New Testament put together otherwise. Well now, none of those answers are wrong. Uh, they they all have uh, a certain a certain veracity, but I believe they miss the main point and purpose of the Book of Revelation, which is to glorify Jesus Christ. And it's quite interesting that the first five chapters of the Book of Revelation say virtually nothing about eschatology or the future, uh, contain virtually no prophetic element. Uh, they mention it, but only very, very briefly. And those first five chapters are devoted entirely to the glory and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, I suggest that the whole book of Revelation has this one purpose, to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. It does so in, in many different ways, of course. 
and all those other answers can be thought of as subsidiary purposes and aims of the book. Now, the second thing I, I, I need to say about the book is that it is quite obviously written in an unusual style or, or genre. Uh, it belongs to a genre or kind of literature which we call apocalyptic. And apocalyptic literature is distinguished from both prose and poetry and, and uh, historical records and all the other forms of literature by the fact that it teaches its message in terms of symbols rather than direct statements. And that means, of course, that when we come to interpret the book of Revelation, we have to recognize that the first thing we should be shown in, in the many visions that John was given, John the Apostle who wrote the book, uh, in those many visions, uh, we should see things which are not real. John actually saw them, but he was having visions. He saw them, but they are not in themselves generally real, but they are symbolic of real things. And that's an important distinction. Uh, let me give one example, perhaps, of something that is uh, well known to many people. You've heard, no doubt, of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And uh, that is a section that we shall come to in due course, in which in his vision, John sees four horses, a white horse, a red horse, a black horse, and a pale or probably gray horse and he sees his horses come out and, and, and go throughout the world and uh, yet of course there are no horses john is seeing horses but john recognizes as we must recognize that the horses are pictures or symbols of certain realities. Uh, the first horse uh, uh, and its rider are white. The horse is white and the rider is clothed in white. And uh, that rider goes forth into the world conquering and to conquer. And that is a picture of the gospel. And the rider is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know there are some interpreters who, who differ from that view, but uh, in the book of Revelation, you only ever find a white horse and one clothed in white riding upon it uh, being used in reference to Christ. Uh, the second horse is a red horse, and it brings death and destruction to a portion of the world's uh, uh, population. Uh, it's not a horse. It is a symbol of warfare and conflict 
in the world. The third horse is a black horse. And that, as we shall see in more detail in due course, is a symbol of famine and food shortage. And again, that has a, a dire effect uh, upon mankind. Uh, many, many people die as a consequence of the activities of the black horse. There is no horse. But the reality that it represents, being famine and the shortage of food, is uh, an uh, only too common uh, situation problem even today, not just in the first century. And then the final horse, a pale horse, represents death in all its forms, showing clearly that, as the book, to the book of the Hebrews says, that it is given to man once to die. And we all die. Uh, and, until Christ returns, every human being will be born, will live, and will die. And we will die by many different means, accidents, illness, sickness, old age, and uh, disasters of one sort or another, warfare. There are many different ways in which people die, but the pale horse gathers them all together. It's not a horse. The horse symbolizes the reality of death. And that being, of course, the consequence of uh, the curse uh, that was brought upon mankind by Adam's sin and rebellion against God. There's just one other thing perhaps I ought to say, and, and that is I don't want anyone to think I am promoting a new interpretation of the book of Revelation, uh, or that I am taking up one of the traditional uh, approaches to interpretation of this book. I, I'm simply coming to the text in a common sense way, recognizing the symbolic nature of what is written and seeking to make clear uh, where it is not clear what the symbols represent and what is the underlying truth that is being taught by the symbols. So let us um, begin by reading the opening verses of Revelation. I'm reading from the New King James Version. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ and to all the things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keeps those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Well, those are the first three verses of the book, and those are the verses we're going to look at uh, in, in this first session. 
the first thing that should strike us, and I, I hope you have an open Bible with you. You may be using a different translation, but there's not a great deal of difference. Uh, I think the words mean the same in all the good translations anyway. Uh, the first thing uh, to notice is there is a, an extraordinary plurality of agencies involved in bringing this revelation to its final audience. And as we can see, that final audience uh, is, first of all, the believers constituting the seven churches of Asia, uh, to whom John was to write the revelation and send it. Um, and then, of course, to, to all of us, to, to Christians everywhere and in all times and seasons, in all ages and in all cultures. We are the final destination for the revelation. But I, I want you to notice that unlike any other New Testament book, we have a, a kind of um, a stairway, if you like, a, a sequence of people involved. The revelation of Jesus Christ, well, that's what it's all about. Is a revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? I think here we must understand by God, God the Father could be the triune God, uh, but uh, uh, Jesus Christ is distinguished from God. So I believe this is God the Father being spoken of. Uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. So God gave the revelation of Jesus Christ to Jesus Christ. Well, that's a very interesting thing. And uh, it underlines the fact that whenever God acts, uh, and reveals himself, he does, through, does so through his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, God is a, a triune God. We give them names, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But you'll find that wherever God is in action, this is the second person of the Trinity, Christ who is the one carrying out the operation uh, that applies to creation. All things were made by him, uh, we're told in, in Colossians 1. And uh, in Hebrews 1, the opening verse, uh, we read that um, God has spoken to us in these last days by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And creation is ascribed to Christ. You go on in the uh, th first three verses of the, of the letter to the Hebrews, you'll find we're told that Jesus Christ is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. And he upholds all things 
by the word of his, Christ's power. So the sustenance of the universe or providence in its largest sense is the work of Christ. And, and as, as, as you go through the New Testament, you find that uh, wherever God is at work, uh, the work is performed through Jesus Christ. Uh, the old Puritan John Owen put it this way. Uh, he said, as regards operations, God works not but by the Son. In, in more modern English, uh, whenever God operates or does something, he does it through Christ the Son. And uh, we should discover later in this book, uh, and indeed it's written large in John's Gospel, chapter 5, that the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. Christ will be the judge in the day of judgment. And, and so uh, the focus here is upon Christ. And that, I believe, is why we are told here that, that the Father gave to Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ, in order that he might uh, share it uh, with his servants, his people. God gave him the revelation to show to his servants things which must shortly take place. Uh, so that warns us that the things that are going to be revealed in the book are things that will occur in human history. And that is very important because a great deal uh, of this book until we get to uh, the seeds of heaven uh, it respects or relates to human history as it unfolds. He sent and signified it, this revelation given by the Father to the Son, that he might show it to his servants. He, he sent, that is Christ sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And it is, of course, John uh, who writes this book and transmits it uh, to the seven churches of Asia. Asia, of course, as we shall see, is not a modern continent of Asia. It really referred to a Roman province which made up roughly the western half of what we now call Turkey. So it was a much smaller area than uh, the continent. Now, who was the angel? Jesus Christ sent and signified it to John the Apostle by his angel. And that introduces a very interesting point. Uh, the word angel, uh, or translated into English as angel, angelos in the Greek, is uh, a word which 
simply means messenger. And it is used in various ways in the New Testament. Its basic meaning is messenger. And it is not necessarily a supernatural messenger. In fact, here in the book of Revelation, we find uh, the traditional use of the word referring to a supernatural being uh, as an angel and angels in the plural. But we also find the word used to describe the messengers of the seven churches, the, the, the preachers, or the lead preacher, if you like, of the seven churches, because it is those people to whom John is going to send the manuscript, and it is those people who are going to read it out to their people, the final recipients of the message. Uh, so we have the Father giving the revelation to the Son, the Son transmitting it to John the Apostle via his angel. And the question is, who is the angel? What is the angel who transmitted the revelation from Christ to John the Apostle? Now, it seems to me that there again, we are not talking about angels as they are normally understood as supernatural beings. I believe he's talking here about the Holy Spirit. Because when you read the, the doctrine uh, of inspiration, of the inspiration of the Bible, uh, throughout the New Testament, you'll find that it is always the Spirit of God who reveals things to men to prophets and, and apostles. Uh, it, the Holy Spirit is always involved in the transmission of scripture and uh, its uh, inspiration uh, from God to men. In, in, in fact, that's true of the Old Testament as well. Uh, David uh, said, uh, calling himself, naming himself as the sweet psalmist of Israel, uh, said, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was in my tongue. And Peter makes it quite clear that, uh, that um, uh, those who wrote the scriptures uh, were led by the Spirit. Uh, they inquired as to the meaning of what they were writing, because some of it wasn't clear to them. The Old Testament prophets, uh, they couldn't see clearly what it was they were prophesying and uh, uh, Peter says in, in his first letter in chapter one that it was uh, revealed to them that the spirit of Christ who was in them was showing them or giving them prophetical information uh, that would become clear uh, and be meaningful to a later generation. So we have this um, uniform teaching that the one who transfers 
inspired material, inspired revelation from God to human beings, those chosen to write that scripture down, is always the Holy Spirit. And you see, that is, that is what is happening here. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is conveying this truth to John via his angel, via his messenger. Now you might say, why didn't he simply say the Holy Spirit if that's what he actually meant? And I don't altogether know the answer to that, but I do know that later in the same chapter, uh, John goes out of his way not to identify the Holy Spirit when he's talking about him very clearly. In, in other words, later on, he's called the seven spirits of God. Now, there aren't seven spirits of God. There's only one Holy Spirit. And that seven spirit term is a, a symbolic of the uh, perfection of the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, then, the Holy Spirit, if I am right, there might not be, but if I am right, the Holy Spirit uh, conveys the revelation to to John. It is true, of course, that John is is assisted by a supernatural angel later in the book, uh, who acts as a kind of guide uh, to events uh, that are happening in heaven. Uh, and so, supernatural angels are present in the book. But uh, I think in this particular case, the angel who is responsible for transmitting the message from Christ to John is the Holy Spirit symbolized again. We have to look below, beyond, and uh, uh, understand that the symbol represents something uh, of a deeper nature. Why is all this important? Why does all this matter? As I say, we've got a, a a long staircase. God the Father gives the revelation to God the Son. God the Son gives the revelation to John via the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes next and then Holy Spirit transmits it to John. John then writes it down and sends it to the leaders of the churches and then the leaders of the churches transmit it to the people. That's us. Well, I, I think what this is doing is saying something that will appear more clearly later in the chapter, that the entire triune God is involved in this work of revelation. This is a triune activity. It is expressed through Jesus Christ. It is about Jesus Christ. But behind the revelation is the entire authority of the Godhead. And John wants us to understand, or the Lord himself wants us to understand, that, uh, that John is not making this up, that it has come with the full authority of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we ought to take notice of it. And what it has to say 
we shall find, I think, has very direct application to our own Christian lives and our own Christian experience and our own Christian anticipations. So we'll carry on with this from uh, verse uh, 4 onwards on the next occasion.